0: Welcome into the Husker twenty four seven podcast. I am Mike Schaefer, fresh off of a vacation, joining Brian Kristofferson, Michael Brunt's here on Tuesday, and it is their job to catch me up on everything I missed. Brunt's go.
1: Well, you uh, as as we should have predicted, um, Nebraska got his first commitment on on uh, Sunday morning. Technically, Friday, I guess, uh, was when he actually committed. And Ernest Hausman, we can talk about that. It, it's it's unfortunate you get the first commitment from a Columbus High athlete in what like two decades.
0: Uh, I mean, it could be longer than that.
1: I mean the and last
0: the last person to get scholarship money from Columbus High to Nebraska, I think, would have been. Kurt farmer the baseball player yeah maybe I don't know does do golfers do they get do they even get money for like books is that a thing
1: I mean I would assume so
0: they had they had a really good golfer named Morgan Schmeckle uh, who'd have been after Kurt farmer and before those two would have been like Amanda Gates who played volleyball and won a national title and before that it was some walk-ons for football like Schlesinger was a walk-on I guess Um or at least that's what I was told uh, this past weekend. Um, Joy Watchhorn was a walk-on, but yeah, it's rare. I mean, Columbus High does not produce a ton of uh, power five talent. Um, Joey Barash went to Wyoming last year, uh, was part of the 2020 class. He was a running back there, and I Nebraska liked him as a potential walk-on. But Ernest Hausman, yeah, is in rare air there, and I talked to Ernest actually before I left, and I I was remarking to you guys off air that I I probably should have uh, at least planted the bug that it was possible. But I I didn't know it was coming Sunday morning, and so I was surprised like everyone else. But I'm sure just like Nebraska was very happy about it. Uh, I think the fan base is happy that they at least have a one in the the commit column now for 2022.
1: Do you think the, the beer was just flowing at glurs on Sunday morning when that news broke?
0: Uh, it's possible. Um, I don't think, I don't know. I think Columbus has some like weird regulations on alcohol sales. So it may not even be allowed to be sold in the morning. It might be like a Sunday. It can only be sold in the afternoon thing.
1: Uh, If you recall,
0: that was like a big deal with the liquor stores when I was a kid.
1: They wanted to
0: open earlier and they weren't allowed.
1: The, uh, whenever a, a native son like that commits though, you have to, uh, you have to say liquor laws be damned
0: (laughs) yeah so Uh, i'll I'll have to look into the history of the columbus liquor law situation i know there's a big deal with the third shift workers at one time too
2: yeah that's fair
0: so uh, they they hit a bar on their way home and then they weren't allowed to have alcohol
2: Um, what's the best restaurant in columbus i say that with no snark either what's the best restaurant in columbus
0: uh, I posted in your thread, my favorite restaurant in Columbus is El Tapatio, a Mexican place that's in okay. uh, the downtown area. Uh, that's my favorite, but you can't really go wrong with any of the taco trucks that are in town. There's a couple different good Mexican restaurants. Uh, the aforementioned Gluer's Tavern is the con- oldest continuously operating tavern west of the Mississippi. Wow. Uh, so it, it has historic value on top of that, but also really good cheeseburgers and bar food. Duster's is well-liked by people. Uh, my family never went, so I don't have much of an affinity for it. Um, those would be kind of the main ones.
1: Well, the, everybody that I've ever known that's from Columbus or has spent any time in Columbus always tells me that the, the Godfather's is like the best oh, yeah. ever, right?
0: Yeah, that's a good point. The, the Godfather's pizza is better there than anywhere else in the world. Um, they <laughs> do something different with the sauce. I don't know what it is. We can bring somebody on from Godfathers in Columbus and interview them and and get to the bottom of it. But that's, that's what I've been informed from sources.
2: That, that pizza sauce gave Ernest Hausman, uh, (laughs) more speed and flexibility to play multiple positions inside or outside linebacker.
0: I should message him and just let him know that if he comes to Lincoln expecting the same exact Godfather, he's (laughs) going to be a little disappointed.
1: (laughs) So you, you missed that. Um, you also missed um, uh, the first four games of the big Ten baseball season which uh, you know I, I don't know in the in the words of office space I wouldn't say I missed it um, the you also missed a another just although I, I think you probably saw it um, just absolute ball kick of a finish in Nebraska's uh, regular season finale against northwestern yeah so, I- I think we'll we'll probably
0: spend a little bit more time on both of those, but let me just say that I am absolutely 100% here for over-the-top celebrations from pitchers when they get a final out in the inning. If they're yeah, all year long, just like I am 100% pro bat flip, mm-hmm. I am 100% pro pitchers losing their mind when they get the third out and they get to go back to the dugout.
1: It's uh, I, I, I agree. I don't think that you can be pro bat flip and then – Not be pro pitchers pointing at the uh, other dugout and and yelling.
0: I I just don't know who's not pro celebration. Like, I mean,
1: it's sports. Oh, I, let's just with baseball, there's probably like hundreds of of Hall of Fame voters that would frown at that.
0: Yeah. Well, those Hall of Fame voters should probably just give up their votes as it is, anyways. But different, different conversation. All together, but yeah, it seemed like an all-around good weekend. If you weren't, uh, if you weren't in charge of boxing out that Northwestern guy at the end of the game, or if you're a Big Ten official, those were the ones that seemed to struggle the most. The the second group there, though, certainly struggled all year long.
1: Bo Even Bo, Bo in particular had a rough weekend.
0: It's funny when uh, Evan Flood over at Wisconsin. He, before the game, he tweeted out, and he does this like every game, so I don't think it's anything new, but he tweeted out like the the stat sheet that shows who the officials are. Yep. And there's just people like lining up to complain about what this means for the game. And then it plays out at such a level that the national folks are just like aghast at how poor the officiating is. And of course, it features Bo Borowski, who seems to always be involved. And somehow is able to do four games in the same day, which I've never figured out like how he's able to bend the rules of time and space to do that. But he does every game.
1: There's there's a couple Big Ten officials that if you if, – if they're on your game, you know you're in for a longer day. I don't want to – I, I want to be careful with what I say because I know that some of them um, get a little, little rabbit-eared about uh, their names being mentioned, but um, – Do that. There's a – yeah. Well, the, the whole Kentucky thing with uh, – Higgins. Higgins, but – yeah, I mean, there's a few guys that uh, that regularly rough Big Ten games that, that you know you're, uh, you're you're in trouble if if they're uh, e- either you're in trouble or you're in for a ref show, usually a ref show.
0: Yeah, well, I'm, I'm sure we could I'm sure we could go through those names. It's not like they're listeners of the podcast, right?
1: I don't know. Maybe Steve McJunkins listens regularly. You think Kelly Pfeiffer's a big fan of spoken word rap, BC? He, he would probably like sock talk. Um, <laughs> I, I guess maybe Richard Patino, once he gets fired next week, is free to talk talk uh, at length about Kelly Pfeiffer.
0: Yeah, there, there he goes. All right, so let's let's dive into this commitment. Um, I believe Brunch, you were able to catch up with Ernest Hausman on Sunday. I've talked to him a few different times. I've definitely been impressed when I have talked to him, what did you learn from him? And and why did this commitment happen when it did?
1: Yeah, he, uh, it's the, the spreadsheets, they, they pointed him to the commitment. Um, you know, it's, you know, Ernest in that interview after the commitment was said multiple times, he said, I I wanted to take this very, this process very seriously. So that he, um, you know, had had a, a, he and his family had a lengthy spreadsheet of questions from each school that they wanted answered. They were doing four and five zoom calls a week, uh, as as his offer list expanded. And, you know, I I think it got down to the point where, you know, he said, he goes, you know, I, I wanted to get to the point with a school where I could commit and help them build a class. He said, he also wanted to respect the coach's time that we're recruiting him that, you know, look, if he's not going to, go to their school. He wanted to let them know so they could recruit other kids too and not kind of waste their time. So, uh, you know, Nebraska, he he felt the most comfort there. I mean, Nebraska recruited him in a very holistic way. Um, you know, as we've talked about, Nebraska doesn't just have the position coach, recruit a guy. He was talking to Barrett Root, Eric Chenander, Scott Frost, Sean Dillon, um, you know, so he felt good there. And, you know, I I think he was kind of ready to just end it and, uh, you know, help Nebraska kind of start to build that class. And, you know, it's, we can get into this, but, you know, with with the the talking points about Nebraska's challenges in state, I mean, I, I think, you know, Ernest Hausman, doesn't take a back seat to any of those Omaha guys in terms of athleticism or yeah. the type of recruit that he is. I mean, he, he doesn't have the volume of offers of some of those guys, but he's, you know, freakishly athletic. He plays well in space for a linebacker. And, you know, you, you look at some of the schools that were starting to get involved with him, Michigan, Michigan state, um, you know, a lot of big 10 West schools, um, you know, he, he was a, a, was and is a very good recruit in his own right.
0: Yeah, I I kind of wrote that today and sort of a, a follow-up since I was gone the last couple of days. But I again, you know, he might be ranked five out of five at, at 24-7 sports right now, but he has as much upside as anybody in, in the state. And he's really raw. And the other thing about him, he's listed at six foot three, but he's got a huge wingspan. I mean he's he plays larger than he actually is. And that's going to be sort of interesting to watch as, as he plays uh, what we expect to be, right? Guys, inside linebacker for Nebraska moving forward.
1: You, could you see him growing into an outside backer though? Like
0: I think that's, that's kind of how teams viewed him. He's talked about that before, where you know, if he with that large wingspan already, and if he retains that athleticism, maybe you move him out into space and you you let him play that way. That's what he plays at Columbus High. Um, but I know that he's been pretty consistent, at least with me, uh, that Nebraska was really talking to him about inside linebacker, but here's the thing, Nebraska seemingly talks to everybody about inside linebacker. Like they can't, you know, you can't have 14 inside linebackers. Eventually some guys have to play outside and they've taken quite a few in the last cycle. They, they've got another one here. I think they want Gavin Myers still. And if they can pair Gavin Myers or Ernest Hausman as their inside linebackers in the class, I think Nebraska would be very excited about that.
2: And if you go back to last signing day when Scott Frost talked about those linebackers, one of the things he stressed was how all of those guys they recruited and Hausman strikes me as being in the same category could what they liked about him was they could really go anywhere along the, you know, outside or inside any of the four spots. So I I yeah, I wouldn't shut the door on anything with him. I think yeah, he's that type of versatile player. What
0: does it mean to you guys that Nebraska finally has their first commitment? Big deal, no deal, some
1: deal? Uh, I would I would say it's a moderate to big deal. Um, you know, was that two weeks ago that we were kind of talking about how you know early February it's it's not a huge deal that Nebraska didn't have a commitment. You start to get into March, and yep. especially with with that the the extension of the dead period until the end of May, it's a uh, you, you needed to kind of get the ball rolling at some point. And, you know, I, I think that uh, it's an important one. I think it's a an important one too, from the standpoint that you beat out some of your, your conference foes for a guy, you know? And I, I think too, you know, I, I don't think it was a slam dunk that Ernest ended up at Nebraska. Um, especially, you know, according to him, giving everybody an equal opportunity to actually recruit them. Um, so, yeah, it's an, it's important. And, you know, you can at least kind of start to, to feel like you've got some momentum. I think Nebraska also just based on updates from around the network uh, is sitting in a good place with some guys um, and, and maybe some guys that are wanting to, to actually take visits before they decide. It's just, uh, you know, just kind of in, in a you're still in a little bit of a holding pattern, but at least you kind of have somebody that you can point to in your class and
2: maybe do a little peer recruiting. Maybe a bit of a calming the waters commit too since he was in state. You know, after a couple of weeks ago when you had a couple of top prospects not put Nebraska in the top five and it was such a discussion point around here. Uh I I think perception wise, um, it, it helps. I, I think it's good that the first guy came from from within the borders and, you know, maybe can add another couple uh there's still some guys out there in the state that I think are could get offers that don't have them yet that we're, we're watching closely. So um, from that standpoint, maybe it, uh, it at least kind of quiets that conversation a little bit for now about the in-state recruiting.
0: Yeah, I think it's kind of a big deal. If only from just a perception standpoint of you want to get that first commitment kind of out of the way. And so you turn that zero into a one and then you kind of see if you can build from there. And I, I know, you know prior to to leaving on friday it felt like nebraska's best relationship save for maybe quentin conley all kind of felt like they're on the defensive side of the ball and and i wonder if just getting a guy in like hausman having someone that can actually sort of peer recruit you create a little artificial scarcity if you're going after gavin myers or whoever an inside linebacker and you can you can use that to your advantage as you kind of move forward and i i do think you know, I believe in the idea that you just need to get a little momentum going with it in terms of recruiting. And it's it's hard to try to get some of these guys who want to take visits or want to see things to, to be the first in the boat, especially if they haven't been to campus. But I think having Hausman will help with that. And I, I do think Nebraska is set up to have a pretty good uh, base of, of recruits on the defensive side of the ball. I just think, you know, I, I wrote about this as well between Myers and then, you um, I think it's pronounced knack i, I don't, i've been saying canic but i gotta i gotta check on that um jaron knack from from fort hayes those two guys jimmy scott's from out by buffalo i believe he really likes nebraska popeye williams was just written about by steve wolflong nebraska appears to be in good shape there and then jared batty who i've written about a few different times i mean it just feels like that second level they've got some guys if they're able to call a few of those And then we know Travis Fisher is going to do his thing with defensive backs and they've had some different guys pop up. I just think they're, they're well positioned on that defensive side of the ball for recruiting. And it, it, it's not a surprise that they were able to start kind of first there. And that's sort of what we've seen where maybe the comfort level or the sales pitch might be working best with those defensive players. And we'll see if they're able to catch up on the offensive side as well.
1: The I guess, kind of to expand the recruiting discussion a little bit further, the, the quarterback spot um, is an interesting one. Nebraska obviously still doesn't have their quarterback commit for 2022. They've made a few offers recently. Richard Torres out of the, the San Antonio area, uh, the most recent one last week. Um, you know, what, what, uh, what, what is, at least nationally, a lot of the guys are making decisions. Where do where do you think that that leaves Nebraska, especially kind of with the, I guess, possibility out there too that they would potentially take some take a quarterback in the portal too.
0: Well, um, I I think that they're still kind of working through it, uh, not to to completely give it away, but Steve wilfunk has got a story on MJ Morris, a top two four seven quarterback. Nebraska's built some good inroads there, and they're they're lined up for a visit. Uh, not entirely sure when that's going to be, but the Morris family is set to come out to see Nebraska. And that's a guy that, you know, again, I think he's a top 100 player. Or at least he was uh, at one point in this cycle. Yeah, he's number 95 uh, nationally for 24-7 sports, 106 uh, on the top 24-7 for 24-7 sports composite. we'll have him as a number four dual quarterback in the country. So we're talking about a guy that um, – there's a lot of excitement about he's from Atlanta, which we know Nebraska has recruited pretty well. And so that's, that's kind of the most exciting piece right now. Connor Harrell, the, the Huskers offered him the Alabama quarterback a few weeks ago. They offered, I believe Richard Torres um, the other day out of San Antonio. I don't know if either of you were able to catch up with him. I feel like that happened right before I left. I know I haven't written about him. Uh, but those those are probably your names right now I mean because a lot of the other people that they were in on have already committed or have already put out lists with Nebraska on the outside looking in
1: that's that's uh, that's good stuff. I, I it's tough for me because it, it's this time of year I mean you, you're kind of starting to get a little bit late in the process you know and I know Nebraska with their their quarterback recruiting in the past. I mean, they, they offer guys and, you know, they, they kind of have a, the the board is, is less vertical and I think more horizontal a lot of times. Um, but that, that's kind of the, for me, at least the next piece that I'm watching is, you know, wh- which direction do they kind of go that way? Because, you know, it I, I think it does matter that, that you have a guy like, like Ernest Hausman now that can kind of sell the program a little bit and, and talk to recruits. But, you know, it, it just seems like it's – it maybe carries a little bit more weight for whatever reason, whenever it's coming from the quarterback spot, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, no, I think that does.
2: It's also really challenging. I mean, you could say this about any of the spots, not being able to evaluate guys in person. But that's something when, when Mario Verduzco has talked about <laughs> analyzing quarterbacks, it's always been such a huge deal to him to be able to see a guy up close, actually throw in his mechanics and all that stuff with your own mm-hmm. eyes. And with that taken off out of the equation right now, it's just, it's, it makes it all the more difficult. I mean, that was the thing. Remember with Harburg um, when he, about this time last year, that started to pick up whether he would get an offer or not. And this was when COVID was just starting. And of course the Harvard would say, well, they really want to see me throw. They really want to see me throw. So that's been completely, uh, obliterated here for the last year and so that it is a challenging spot i think uh to to really analyze who you want when you can't get that in person interaction maybe
0: yeah i i think that's that's fair and it it's certainly changed the way uh nebraska's had to recruit certainly everyone's had to recruit and so the, the evaluation period is not like we're going to know the effects of what the pandemic had on recruiting, at least for a few years, but not being able to evaluate in person, I know is one of the the nightmare scenarios for this coaching staff, because you, you're not able to get a real feel for what someone looks like just entirely on film. You can get some feel, but they, that's why they asked for those photos of people standing in door frames, or they want their wingspan measured. And that's why verified camp results are a huge deal right now for the places that are still doing it. And it it's a you know it's going to show up in college football it'll manifest itself some way but it'll it'll take some time all right let's take a break when we come back we're going to dive into baseball went three and one this past weekend and a little nebraska basketball as the big 10 tournament is near all that more here with the husker 24 7 podcast
1: the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Ha! Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus.
0: Yes! CBS Wednesday.
2: We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I feel it!
0: Yeah, we are back. I mentioned we were going to dive into a little baseball and basketball. Let's start with baseball. They went 3 and 1 on the weekend against Purdue. It was good to see Nebraska out there playing. Uh, Brunts, what can you kind of tell us from a four-game weekend in which Nebraska was in every game, could have won every game. Uh, finished 3 and 1, got good pitching at times, got good hitting at times. Some really interesting debuts. What what stood out the most to you from this weekend?
1: Yeah, the three and one against Purdue. Um, you know, probably. Um, I, I think if you, you know, really asked the brass as baseball staff, I think they would say they probably should be four and zero coming out of that weekend. Um, you know, they they had their chances on Friday, but but uh, couldn't extend a lead and couldn't hold the lead um, late. So it, it's. You know, the, the first couple weekends are always tough, um, regardless of whether it's Big Ten competition or you're playing somebody in Arizona or Florida or wherever. You know, guys are you know, going to have some nerves. You're probably going to have guys striking out a little bit more at the plate than they would normally um, just because it's early in the season. But with, with the way the Big Ten has set up the schedule, you, you need guys who are ready to play um, and, and ready to go right from the get-go. And you know, I, I think the things that stood out to me for the most part Pitching wise, Nebraska got three good starts uh, f- from uh, Chance Roach, from um, Shay Shaneman, and Jake Buns, which kind of turned into a little bit of a, uh, a bullpen day on, on Sunday. But you know that they, they were able to pass the bucket and, and shut out Purdue, so uh, that was good to see. That was one area where I, I think I had some some trepidation about Nebraska's bullpen. And, you know, guys that were kind of question marks, I think, pitched well. And guys that you thought you could count on, like a Max Schreiber, uh, kind of had up and down weekends. So, if they can rebound with those guys, Cade Povich throws like, like he's capable of um, this weekend up in Minnesota, I think they'll be fine. Um, at the plate, kind of a mixed bag. You know, they had the, the three home runs on, on Friday. Uh, they, they really worked the at-bats on, in the doubleheader on Saturday and Sunday. You know, they, they did enough to, to kind of come out on top. But uh, you have to like what you saw from from Max Anderson, the freshman, uh, with, with his uh, just kind of just a hot debut. I mean, there's no really way to put it. I mean, he was a really tough out, um, you know, was was able to, to really work some counts. And so, you know, a, a good debut, all things considered. I, I don't know that at the end of the year that Purdue is going to be Anywhere near the top of the Big Ten, but uh, Nebraska was able to go out and take care of business, which is something that kind of the the conference favorites, I guess, uh, struggled to do in the first weekend.
0: uh, Was there a most important player from the weekend or or someone that impressed you the most? Obviously, Max Anderson had a great weekend. But was there there anything that that you think is a, a great sign that pretends for the rest of the season?
1: Uh, yeah, I think a, a big question for me was who the closer was going to be. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, if you had a really kind of high leverage situation right now, you'd probably go to Spencer Schwellenbach. I mean, the, he, he comes out of, you know, after playing an entire game in, on a Sunday, throw 97. Snapping off breaking balls, um, you know that that's a, a good thing to see. I mean, I, I know that if his arm were a little bit farther along, there's a chance that he probably could have even been in the starting rotation for Nebraska. He's that good, um, you know. I, I think getting good at bats from uh, the younger guys is important, and I and I, I think you know we talked about this in a couple of weeks ago that this is this team, especially at the plate, is as deep as they've had it in. A number of years and I think you saw that this weekend where even a guy like Logan Foster who has played a ton of college baseball I mean he only played two games um, you know and, and Nebraska really didn't miss much of a beat so I, I think I kind of took away more that this team has a ton of depth and um, you know I guess on the mound too the guy that I was I was really interested to see was, was Shea Shaneman. I mean, he'd been in the bullpen his first two years at Nebraska moved to the starting rotation and looked really dominant uh, in his outing. And, you know, I, I think that's a good sign because with these four game weekends, you're going to need guys to go deep and, and getting two really quality starts from, from Roach and Shannon on Saturday. That was huge. Um, especially kind of setting up Sunday, which is more of a bullpen day.
0: So Nebraska had five home runs over the weekend. Is that a product of the field they were playing in or do do they actually have a little bit of power here because I know Nebraska's teams in the past have not exactly been like long ball sockers.
1: Yeah, the I mean the I don't know, that's kind of a wait and see. I mean it seemed like that they, they took advantage I guess of a you know maybe a short porch and left, left and left center a little bit, but I mean Jack Styles um home run on Sunday, it was 411 feet into a, into a wind. So it wasn't exactly piss rocket territory based on, you know, the, the, the trajectory of the ball, but he didn't miss it. So that that's something that uh, I, I think they have the potential to do, but you know, I, the, the thing at the plate that maybe was a product of the opening weekend, they did strike out a lot, but I, I thought on Saturday when they kind of needed to bounce back from you know, a pretty disappointing loss on Friday. I thought they were really uh, patient at the plate and really kind of made for a long day for Purdue's pitching. I mean, it was – it was, seemed like every count was going two and two, three and two, and uh, that, that you can really wear out a pitching staff that way.
0: Yeah, I um, – maybe Nebraska's going to go three true outcomes here. A lot of walks, a lot of strikeouts, a lot of dingers.
1: It's uh... – <laughs> That'd be all right. It,
0: it's... Did you Did you notice that the the social media account was like including launch angle and exit velocity?
1: Yeah, I was. I what, like what it.
0: What is I... happening? Is this a Is this a statistical revelation? Well, this social is the, media.
1: This this I'm surprised that the social media stuff has it, but I mean Nebraska has really kind of um, pushed ahead with the the analytics stuff the data stuff i mean you have all that now and i, I believe haymarket park is now outfitted with it too so um you know like pers-
0: the system
1: yeah selfishly i'm curious to see uh if that's available to everybody or if that's like a super secret backroom handshake kind of thing that you have to have access to but that, that's uh that's something to watch i think this season you might you might be seeing uh so some some guns, um, some gun tallies, and uh, some exit velo, which is always a good thing.
0: I look, I'm I'm here for it. I'm I'm excited for you to write a glossary of these terms for some of our our readership that may not follow baseball at the nerd level that the three of us do.
1: Yeah, well, and and like I said, I mean, it, when you have a number to it, then you can assign, like a you know, it was like a 105 and above exit velocity is that piss rocket territory or 110
0: 110 and above
1: is like <laughs>
0: that's that's when you're and then if you get to the the real rare like 118 territory i mean maybe you maybe you want to have it as rare as possible but i think 110 counts and then i i was like knocked out of my chair when i saw that they had the launch angle in there i think one of them was like a 29 degrees and it's like all right Nebraska's Nebraska's going for dingers
1: yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah, it's sucks. it's fun it's fun, but yeah, they, they played well. I, I think, uh, this, this weekend will be a little bit taller task, um, with, with Iowa and Ohio state, but I I think, uh, that first weekend you got to kind of work out the kinks a little bit. I think it's better that you're doing it again. It, it's different because you're doing it against a conference team versus like having to basically be trying to hit the ground running against like an Arizona state.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's fair. All right, well, let's go from the stuff that's exciting and fun to, to B2, who's going to tell us about Nebraska Northwestern on Sunday and why Big Ten officiating is the best in the country.
2: Yeah, they, they didn't even get it right when they went to the monitor. Um, like twice. Yeah, that was a rough call. I thought Derek Walker had a rough call there on at least one of the two fouls in the last two minutes. But um, nonetheless, uh, that was uh, a slice of it. But, you know, when you – basically give away possessions right off the bat and say, okay, we're going to dig a 16 point hole and allow the opponent to shoot about, I think at one point early in the second half, Northwestern was shooting 59% from the field and ended up at 53%. So the discouraging part, I think to me in the last recently is, you know, there was that stretch where they came out of their break uh, from the COVID pause where they were playing really good defense, you know, and you felt like, well, this can carry him a little bit. And, and now you have a game where they actually, after the rough start played very effectively on offense, move the ball around well. And in the second half got whatever they wanted for the most part until Lapman, man, you know, decided to not shoot that three in the shot clock violation at the end. Uh, but they were getting good looks and running good offense. Uh, but you know defensively they just they just lacked for for a better part of the game and uh disappointing finish cuz to rally all the way back and be up four with 2 minutes left you're thinking this is going to be a feel good end to it you know a tough and trying season and and it, sure enough it was another punch in the jewels it's nebraska basketball were you really thinking that um uh, no yeah i not i wouldn't <laughs> say <laughs> I'm to the point where, yeah, you almost expect it to go how it went. It's not like you're like, oh, man, that was stunning. Um, but I do feel for a, a team that I feel like they've, they haven't they have just quit or like said we're done with this season. or any, I mean, I've always felt like they're engaged. And so I felt good for them a week or so ago when a few good things happened back to back. And Sunday would have been a nice uh, cherry on top to that. If you want to spin it positive, and this is sort of woulda, coulda, shoulda, I guess territory, but Nebraska's three and seven in their last ten games, and Hoyberg in his post game was pointing out, you know, had they been able to finish this, of course, woulda, coulda, shoulda, and also you know Illinois, top five, top ten team, uh, where you have a chance in that stretch to beat them, you're talking about going five and five then uh, in the toughest league in America uh, to finish off that shows you're at least playing competitive basketball for the most part, that performance against Iowa withstanding.
0: Yeah, I, um, I feel like we're seeing uh, some growth from Nebraska that we didn't necessarily see at times under Hoiberg last year with a different squad entirely. And I, I feel like there should be at least some optimism about what this group can look like with another off season, Add a few more shooters into the mix, trade a few pieces out. Uh, am I just trying to see what I want to see here, guys, or do you do you
2: think that as well? No, I think that's possible. I mean, the biggest part to me, and Bruns can speak more to it, but I don't expect a. I do expect some pieces to change, of course, but it's not like going to be a complete, extreme makeover here, uh, like last year, where basically you shipped off one team and brought in a new team, and so. um you're starting all over, basically year one. You know, a re- replay, a year one. Uh, so I actually think this is going to be building off of a roster that you've started to uh, grow with, and and maybe that gives an opportunity to actually uh, up the win total. I also think it'll help a lot to. Uh, ideally get fans in the stands. I think PBA uh, could be advantageous uh, for this team when, with Hoiberg ball when it really starts, they start to play at a better level. There's some games this year they lost where I've thought to myself, you know, I wonder if they win that thing, if there's 11,000 fans, uh, you know, behind them in the stands, putting some heat on the refs and all that stuff. So uh, some things like that can help too. Yeah, it's the – so Nebraska plays Wednesday against Penn
1: State. Um, one, once the their time in Indianapolis is done, I mean, that, that's when the the real intrigue begins. I mean, you basically have individual meetings coming up with players. I'm sure there's already been some some initial discussions about kind of what guys' plans are going forward. I mean, you have to figure out, first off, I mean, are, are Thor and Kobe Webster going to be back? Um, I, I would be surprised. If if either comes back, maybe a little bit more surprised if if Thor comes back. Um, And then beyond that, I mean, I I think that there's going to be – I think there's going to be shuffling. I agree that there's not going to be a – it's not – you're not ripping everything down to the studs um, this offseason. But, I mean, you're adding three guys that you feel pretty good about in this recruiting class. I think you're probably going to have to dip into the portal, which is going to be – just bonkers this off season, I think. So, um, you know, I, I think there there's some positives and, and if you look at Nebraska's shooting numbers too, as the year has gone along, they are shooting better. Um, I, I think having a player out there like Derek Walker consistently has helped this team tremendously, um, from, from not only just, uh, you know, keeping the ball moving point of view, but just the, the little things that he does. So I, I think it's, it's trending, Upward. I think if, if you would have had, I think if you would have been able to close out that game on Sunday, um, you, you probably would have felt even better about it. But, you know, I, I do think you have to give this team credit for playing the way that they did late in the season against the type of schedule that they were forced to play because um, it really was difficult. And, you know, I, 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 I struggle to use the word adversity, but for for them to kind of have to to get through all that, um, you know, with with the losses mounting and
2: everything else, I, I think uh, this program will ultimately be be better off for it. You need somebody to dramatically uh, tweet or say how they they're they're packing five changes of clothes for the trip or something. Now, you know, and, there's always there's always that dramatic line that someone gives, and it always fires people up. It's like the anti Michael Jordan and the Bulls go into Phoenix to close out the Suns. Yeah, I only brought one suit.
1: Yeah.
0: So I I got to ask this, and it's a bit of a downer. Do you wonder about what the role of Delano Banton would be moving forward in this program?
1: Geez, way to just completely fart in the room and leave. Well, I didn't <laughs> mean, I'm still here. But, uh, <laughs> you know,
0: he only played 15 minutes against Northwestern, was one or two shooting, two assists, three points one foul, one turnover, the the least amount of production he's had in a game in a while. He didn't do much against Penn State, and they lost 86-83. But otherwise, even when he doesn't score, he's usually grabbing rebounds. He's usually filling up with assists. Um, he usually has a lot more minutes. It just kind of feels like Delano Banton – I don't know. I just I don't know what his role necessarily is unless he becomes a much better shooter over the offseason because he's not a point guard. Um, I think he could be a, an interesting bench piece, but he's someone that I just wonder how exactly he fits.
1: Here, here's, here's what I think. You're, you, the thing you hit on about the shooting part of it is huge for him because if he's, if he's not going to be the guy to run the offense through at the point, which I think we've, as we've kind of seen going along this year, that's not the best role for him he's going to have to be able to knock down shots. Um, and and you, his numbers right now, he's shooting 25% from three-point range. He's at about 40%. Um, 41 goal. Yeah. So, I mean, if he can shoot more consistently from the outside, and I know that that's something that since he's been at Nebraska, he's had to work on. And, I mean, it's funny. I mean, the, the 25% from three-point range is, all, is actually – an improvement from where he shot as a freshman at Western Kentucky, but I I don't think he's ever going to be a guy who is going to go out and score 25 points in a game. I mean, I think a a good role for him is, is that guy that's going to probably score right around 10 a game. He's going to go and grab you six, seven rebounds, probably five. I mean, he's just a, he's a stat filler, but not necessarily a guy that's going to go out and take over a contest. So, the, the, the thing that's tough though, I agree, is you know, where does he fit in the offense if he's not able to drive to the rim? Because that's that right now is really the only thing that's kind of working for him. Um, if he's not able to knock down shots from the outside,
0: yeah, I he's, he's the guy that I wonder the most. I mean, I expect obviously McGowan's to be back, Walker to be back. Um, you know, Shamil Stevenson, I'm not 100% sure what happens with him, but lad, I expect to be back. It's just Banton. I I expect that Banton is back. They've invested a lot in him, and I think they believe in him. It's just I don't know where exactly he fits with the construction of this roster, because if you bring in McGowan's and you have Lat and you have Walker, I mean, and I would assume they're going to try to go get a point guard, like a true point guard. It seems like Banton's going to be playing off the bench. Maybe he becomes your sixth man.
1: Um, Well, and and it's – I guess the – when you start looking into, you know, who's leaving and whatnot, correct me if I'm wrong, but if, if they approve the one-time free transfer, that's only for guys that are transferring for the first time. Correct. Right. Yeah. So that would potentially complicate things for Banton. It would potentially. But because
0: we're in a pandemic, it'd be easy enough to get a waiver if he goes anywhere back towards the
1: Northeast. Maybe. I mean, is he going to play in Canada?
0: I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not sure what he ends up. I, and I'm not trying to like sound the alarms that he's leaving. It's more so, I don't know what.
1: No, it's, that's a pair. It's like where he fits in. I, that's. As the season has gone along, I think that's become more of a valid question about kind of what his role is and where he does fit. Um, But yeah, I, that, that's just something to consider. I mean, I, I don't know it's the NCAA, so you never know how, that whole waiver process is going to work, but at least for Stevenson, Banton and, you know, some of those other guys who've already transferred, that's, that's something that they have to take into consideration if they do consider leaving again. Yeah. All right.
0: Well, I think we touched on a lot in this podcast today. Any, any closing thoughts?
1: Uh, no, I was just, we have I no just, closing thoughts. I was just looking through restaurants in Columbus to see, um, no, Matador
0: is a favorite of uh, of the people. Um, Getting a lot of free like
1: advertising here.
0: One one Jim Schaefer is a big fan of Burrito King now. Like that's become like his demand when people return back to Columbus. <laughs> um, I don't I don't know why. It's fine, uh, but he's he's big on Burrito King. Uh, Doozies, which is you know more of a chain, but there's not many left in Nebraska, and one of them's in Columbus. I know that's a big deal.
2: Where's our doozies in Lincoln now? Do we have one? We don't have one anymore. They took it away. It's gone. Man, that was a favorite for me when I was downtown. I'm sure it was replaced by a Jersey Mike's. Yeah, what a joke. <laughs> and there goes our
0: sponsorship with Jersey Mike's.
2: <laughs> not Jersey Mike's. I'm just saying, I might. it's not about who came in. It's about <laughs> doozies not being there. They had that sign that said, have a doozy of a day. And it always kind of lifted your little spirit. You know, if you're having a rough one, it was like, all right, let's get, let's get back on track after I eat this eight inch sub, you know? All
0: right. Well, on, on Thursday, we're going to have BC give his rankings for big 10 football using sandwich chain places uh, (laughs) to determine where each team slots in. You've heard of sock talk. Now it's going to be sub talk.
2: Could be done possibly have to think about it, but that could be done. Let me, let me, make the wheels turn in this silly brain and see what happens.
0: Excellent. Brunt's anything
1: else?
2: No, I'm done. I'm off to Columbus.
0: Brunt's is done. We're done. Everyone's going to Columbus and uh, we'll be back later this week with another podcast here at Husker 24 seven. The chilling new original docu-series on Paramount plus.